That is the job of a leader, to believe in people when they don't believe in themselves and have a vision of what those employees and what those colleagues can do. And then stand by and nurture and inspire and encourage and say, yes, you can. Call them change makers. Call them rule breakers. We call them redefiners. Join us in conversation with daring leaders who are creating extraordinary impact and driving change from around the globe. Each episode gives you a fresh perspective on your leadership and career journey. I'm Hoda Tahoon, a leadership advisor at Russell Reynolds. I'm Clark Murphy, the former chief executive officer and a leadership advisor. And this is Redefiners. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Redefiners. I want to throw a number at you, 300 million. It's a fairly big number by any standard, but especially when we're talking about people. And I want you to think about 300 million lives around the world touched by medical technology. It's a staggering number. Well, today on Redefiners, we are speaking with someone who has achieved exactly that. Our guest is transforming the future of healthcare, consistently demonstrating that compassion and innovation go hand in hand. She puts purpose and people at the heart of her mission. Yeah, whether it's athletes or whether it's your in-laws or your parents or your best friend with hips and knees and shoulders, the ability of people to keep doing things that they didn't think they could continue to do in their lives, the power of science and medicine, is just letting humanity do more than it's ever done before. Extend lives, extend miles. I just got off the river in Wyoming uh, kayaking and one of the people on the trip has a new shoulder and they're kayaking. You know, nine months later, life's pretty good. <laughs> but otherwise they wouldn't be on the river in Wyoming. So medicine and purpose change people's lives. That's what I think today's all about. Just even a few years ago, people used to think that medical devices were for the elderly. And now you and I and others in our lives, friends and family are all using these really cool gadgets to enhance how we're going about day-to-day things. It's pretty cool. As youthful as I am, that my friends have new hips and knees, it's clearly (laughs) for the youthful. (laughs) Well, listen, we don't want to waste any more time. Our guest today is none other than Ashley McAvoy. She's the Executive Vice President and Worldwide Chair of Johnson & Johnson MedTech. With a 27-year record of excellence at J&J, Ashley's leading the nearly $30 billion organization through innovation that's saving lives. She's literally changing the outcome of people's lives. Publications like Forbes and Fortune have celebrated Ashley's leadership abilities. And beyond J&J, she also serves as chair of AdvaMed Board of Directors, the first woman to serve in that role, I might add. And she's on the board of trustees for the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. All of this while creating a culture of acceptance, inclusion, and success, as well as leading personal and professional growth opportunities for the 60,000 employees that she leads worldwide. I think we would all agree healthcare is one of our most vital industries. So what's it like to lead an organization with that kind of impact on that kind of scale? I can't wait to find out. Ashley, welcome to Redefiners. Well, thank you, Clark. And thank you, Hoda. It's a pleasure to be here. And Clark, I have to say, it's also about like the dads, letting dads be dads. Not all of us are uber athletes around the world, but MedTech does help you kind of be in your A game with all of your families. Well, our our daughter was the guide in the rivers of Wyoming. I don't have any pieces and joints yet, but I can envision it given how I felt this morning after coming (laughs) out of there. So yeah, dads, I relate to the dads doing more. Um, Listen, Ashley, let's, let's start going back a little bit. You grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia. 
Your dad was in marketing and analytics for Campbell's Soup. And I understand that he and your family would host people around the world. What, what did you learn from those dinner conversations? And how do you reflect on that, given the global business you run today? My father worked for Campbell's Soup for 25 years. So I grew up a little bit of a Campbell's kid. And he would go with my mom back then, you know, everywhere, India, I remember Mexico. And, and we hosted a lot of different people. And most of us always think that there's huge differences all around the world. There's so much more we have in common. And there's so much more that we can help each other and really unify. We also know that we serve global patient populations, 8 billion patients on the planet. And we need to access all of the world's best insights and innovation and harness all of that and galvanize all of that in service of patient care. And Ashley, as you think about your amazing career Years before ascending into the role that you have today in medtech, you worked in consumer products. Can you tell us a little bit about how those experiences early on have shaped who you are as a leader today? God, it's so funny. Like, what's old is new again. So I'm here with my kids who are working remotely today. Two of them are working in the workforce. And one of them is actually in a building where I was 30 years ago. I started in advertising as an assistant, assistant, assistant product director, making less than $25,000 living in New York City. Um, and I would tell you a couple of things. Like I, I've always been on teams and always worked in the service industry. I've had a job since I was 12 years old. Uh, I've done any kind of job you can imagine, you know, working fruit stands and waitressing and dishwashing. And so that service orientation and customer orientation is just part of my bones. And I've also been on teams, some more competitive than others. And what you always realize is it's not about you. It's really about the total team. And even on your worst day, find a way to do one thing right. And, and, you know, that notion kind of carried through in a service industry and in advertising where I kind of got reacquainted with the power of brands. And Procter & Gamble was a customer of ours. And then Bristol-Myers Squibb owned Clairol hair coloring. So they were a client of mine. And then I moved to Europe and I worked in Unilever. So I worked on the rival to Pantene. And at that time, you know, before all the social media happened, brands really played this beautiful role of teaching. And whether it could be teaching about hair care or obviously now in the world of healthcare, brands really being a teacher of, of health and your children's health or your parents' health. So I think that if you give a little love and attention, brands can have enduring value. And we are very fortunate, J&J. &J, we have a brand that's over 100 years, Ethicon, in surgery. And we created the first sterilization of operating theaters around the world in the Ethicon brand. So some brands, consumers know, some brands, surgeons know. But the power of brand is as strong today as it was 100 years ago. You moved to New York. You lived in Europe. You worked around the world. How did your path take place? And, and was it purposeful or spontaneous? Probably a little bit of both, I would say. I've been married now, you know, over, my goodness, I don't even know, like more than 25 years, let's say. But I met my life partner when I was 15. We got married. We have five kids together. He's a teacher, a lacrosse coach. He's got his passion in life. And I needed to get him out of Havertown, Pennsylvania. So for us to be together, I said, we got to leave the U.S. and go somewhere. He didn't speak a lot of foreign languages, so we chose you know, the UK. I worked in London. He worked in Salford. He coached the English National Lacrosse team and taught it at Buell Hill Middle School. And I worked in London and my client was in Paris. So uh, we actually had a farther commute, but it was really important for us to get out of our bubble. 
and to see the world. And every weekend we went and traveled and we bottled all that and came back to the United States after a couple of years. And he, you know, dedicated his life to service. He was a teacher and an all boys lacrosse coach. And I started my chapter at Johnson and Johnson. And I, again, I, I find the world is so much more similar than, than the hours that it takes. I'm fresh back from Bangkok Longest flight, 21 hours. Holy smokes. That is what I have to say. <laughs> I'm glad you're awake for the podcast. Oh, this is good goodness. news. It took a couple days, I have to say. I'm, I'm back now. I've recovered. You know, I never left our country before I was 18. You know, I, I grew up in a little town in Virginia. And then you go see the world. And what do you learn? You learn the world is bigger geographically, smaller culturally. And if we can bring those cultural differences into similarities, it's amazing what one can do. Were there themes in the UK or France that you can remember that have made you a better leader? Were there things that resonate with you, lessons learned? I always felt like I'm a guest in the host country. So, you know, be a good guest, first and foremost, and listen before speaking. Seek to understand before assessing and be gracious. You know, I've hosted people from all around the world and we do make your own pizza night on Friday nights at, my, at the McAvoy household and all the kids, you know, and they love that. You know, my gentleman who runs my business in China comes and gets right in there and do a cue to make his own personalized pizza. And <laughs> he sees the chaos of what it's like when there's, you know, nine people living in that household. But he jumps right in. And so the, I would tell you that, that I am American and I'm going to be a proud American, but I'm going to have a lot of humble pie and a lot of humility, and I want to be a really good ambassador. And so I take that seriously, whether it be representing America, whether it be representing my family, whether it be representing my company, to show respect and do your homework and, you know, perform and deliver. Be a good human being. Being a good human being is, is a passport unto itself. So Ashley, you were talking about fostering and nurturing relationships over the tenure of your career, and you've been at J&J Parent Company for a long time. You joined in 1996, so pre-9-11, pre-social media, pre-a lot of things. In a world where tenures are getting shorter in the professional space, what have you done to secure a long-term path within the same organization? And what advantages do you think being in an institutional, familiar place gives you as a leader? Well, that's a lot there. Let's unpack that. But yeah, we, we, let's unpack it. We, you know, I never thought, I mean, for a lot of the folks listening, I never thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to be a president of a company. I'm going to be running a CEO of a $30 billion company. Like that was never an aspiration. I kind of fell into it. I did fall in love with healthcare. I fell in love with the power of brand, which I've always loved, but the power of science and technology to really change people's lives. And I've been very fortunate to have the opportunity to serve, as you mentioned, over 300 million patients. And, you know, I, I'm always reminded, we take care of people when they're at their most vulnerable. Like people are having a stroke, they're having heart failure, they're, you know, restoring their sight and cataract surgery, seen for the first time in years. So, you know, with that privilege comes a lot of responsibility. And so, I would never have fathomed 27 years, coming up with 27 years in September. I started in consumer packaged goods with the likes of like a Tylenol and a Zyrtec and huge respect. These were big, global, iconic brands. So they had a lot of relevance in people's lives. Everybody knew what a pain reliever was. Everybody kind of knew what an allergy medicine was. So there was broad relevance. We were able to do a lot of global work, which 
which got me excited about, again, serving global patients. But I was just really fortunate to be surrounded by, by some great, really progressive leaders. And they believed in me way more than I believed in myself. And they had a vision for me of what I could do for the world, again, way bigger and beyond what I ever had for myself. And I feel like that is the job of a leader, to believe in people when they don't believe in themselves and have a, have a vision of what, what those employees and what those colleagues can do. And then stand by and nurture and inspire and encourage and say, yes, you can. And yes, you can. And then, you know, life kind of takes its toll when you can be on a, on a roll. And um, anyway, very grateful. Had a lot of people who believed in me, was given the reins of five different businesses. And I had four children in five years. We had an amazing childcare center right on site. Thank goodness for that. A really progressive company on healthcare benefits and it was family friendly, but I think, you know, it's about paying it forward now to the next generation. So let's go a little bit into technology here. Well, we're going from consumer product goods to Zyrtec to having a new shoulder or a new cochlear implant. How did you come up to speed on this idea of understanding the science? A couple things. It's been remarkable how science and technology has evolved. And we like to say that we're going to get after the five leading causes of mortality which are like cardiovascular, oncology, traffic, respiratory health and stroke in a much more meaningful fashion given the advancements in technology than even just 10 years ago. And that's a good thing for all of us <laughs> uh, before we become a patient. But, you know, listen, we, at our core, we're an innovation hotbed and we do a lot organically inside, you know, I call it the walls of JJ and we do a lot externally. And so how do I learn? I spend a lot of time in cases, in operating rooms, watching how surgeons are doing different kinds of cases, whether it be cataracts, whether it be a new hip replacement, whether it be managing cardiac ablation. And you learn by seeing. Two, you learn by going to meet a lot of startups. J&J has been put together like Humpty Dumpty of buying a lot of these startups and giving them scale so more patients can have access to this technology. I spent a lot of time meeting with startup companies in Israel in China, in Japan, in Silicon Valley, and, and meeting these entrepreneurs. And then we make investments, early on investments. And then when they're ready to kind of blossom, we then will we'll then consummate the deal and then scale that technology to give it global access. So I heard, I listen to experts. I act as a leader, but now we're going into AI automation. It's all speeding up. It'll never, it'll never go this slowly ever again. Your reflections on AI and what that means to change a medtech? We're actively deploying AI right now, really in all aspects of how we engage with customers, how we innovate, and how we make our products. And, you know, we use AI as an example around how we do procedures differently to improve outcomes. So we are the world leader in cardiac ablation. If you have a heart arrhythmia and you don't manage that, that could put you at a higher risk of a stroke. So we created a procedure, which is a cardiac ablation procedure. And through the use and the deployment of our artificial intelligence, we've gotten much better algorithms. So what used to take us three and a half hours to do a case now takes us one hour to do a procedure. And rather than having a patient or the electrophysiologist exposed to like fluoroscopy, a form of radiation for 49 minutes, now you can do that in nine minutes. And the efficacy rate of that procedure has gone from 66% to 
to 89%. So the science and the technology has really evolved, but the deployment of artificial intelligence has really helped enable better patient outcomes. We'll be right back with Ashley McAvoy, but first we'll hear from Fawad Bajwa, a managing director in our Toronto office. He'll outline the impact we can expect generative AI tools like ChatGBT to have on leadership and how leaders manage most effectively in this new world. ChatGPT has become a hot topic amongst leaders, and it's no surprise. It recently broke records to become the fastest growing app of all time, with more than 100 million users in its first two months. Gen AI platforms like these are changing the game for leaders. They can combat the culture of busyness, increase efficiencies, and free up schedules so leaders can focus on work that requires deep, strategic thinking, and there's no turning back. But for all its potential, Gen AI is not without its limitations. Fears around skills erosion and ethics are real and can't be ignored. As CEOs begin to plan for the changes that Gen AI will inevitably bring, there's one constant denominator needed for its implementation to be a success, and that's exceptional leadership. Leaders are instrumental in building a tech-first culture. They'll be the ones making sure that these AI tools are fed with the right information, and they're the ones who will provide moral and ethical human leadership to drive the change. So before getting swept up in the hype, CEOs need to ask, do I have the right leaders in place to properly integrate the technology into processes and operations while appropriately managing the associated risks? To get a deeper understanding of Gen AI's potential and its leadership implications, you can find the link to our article on ChatGBT in our show notes. Now back to our conversation with Ashley. Ashley, we all have a moment in our lives where everything changes. And on this podcast, we call it a redefiner moment. So in every episode, we ask our guests what that moment was for them. So Ashley, what was your redefiner moment? You know, I don't have just one moment, probably have a couple of moments, but... I think, you know, being a mom was major. Probably one of the most important things I've done in my world is being able to have five kids now age 23 to 13 who are good human beings and they give back in their service and they are contributing people to the world. So that's probably the biggest redefined moment for me and my husband. From a work point of view, probably one was really changing industries. I spent probably around 15 years in the world of consumer health and big, iconic, consumer-oriented brands. And now I've spent about 16 years in the world of med tech, really deep in healthcare. And that's not always an easy transition. And, you know, I got a lot of advice. I had just been a president of a company, so I was going to go leave to be another president. You know, coming in at that level is difficult when you didn't grow up in that industry. And again, I think I just practice, you know, I'm never going to be able to outmaneuver someone who spent 30 years as a sales rep in Metech. You know, how, how can I add value to that? But what I can bring is curiosity. I can bring a d- degree of global curiosity and global intellect, you know, understanding how to lead large teams, understanding how to reorient companies based upon customer needs and customer insights you know, a degree of operational rigor, what it's like to earn a share point. The penny profit in CPG is a lot smaller than it is in the world of healthcare. And that that financial acumen of understanding every single line of a P&L and how to make it work for you. And and again, that, that service orientation, global orientation and fierce competitive intensity, you can apply that to different industries. And so that was a big 
it was a big learning for me to go do that. And again, I was very grateful because I had some leaders who took a bet on me and said, you know, you're going to bring all those things and parlay them and you're going to have to learn. You have to go spend a lot of time in cases and a lot of time in the lab and you have to go see the countries, you know, our top 10 markets. And, you know, after a couple of years, I said, oh, my goodness, I tried this on and fell in love. I used to have to spend hours in focus groups and all these different segmentations, understanding what consumers want to do. Surgeons will tell you, you'll be in a case and they'll let you know. So that instant gratification, if you will, of consumer needs and then getting a prototype on my desk three days later, based upon the customer insight that we got is, I mean, it's remarkable. Three days. Wow. That's amazing. I will list all the places you've been named as a great leader, but you also have been a leading woman. What is your advice to women and what are your learnings as a woman? And some people don't want to be singled out as I'm a woman leader. I'm a leader, (laughs) but I don't know how you, how do you look at that? Well, listen, when you look at the global patient population of 8 billion people, we need to make sure that our workforces reflect the patient population. Women make a lot of healthcare decisions. So having the right kind of representation from a gender, from a race, from an ethnicity, the data has spoken that globally diverse, inclusive teams have companies that are run and beat the competitive composite and all key financial measures. So the data has already spoken in that regard. I had a lot of actually more dual working households, mentors, than I did early on in my career, female leaders. And I was fortunate to that because they understood, you know, how to carry their weight. Some of them were dads with daughters, you know, who wanted to pay it forward. Early on, I was never told, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't. And and in fact, if someone told me that, I was just you know, absolutely inspired to prove them differently. So, I mean, I think the notion of competitive sports teaches you that. But I also am not naive to know that there are absolute um, barriers that still do exist. So our jobs as leaders and my job is to try to remove those. And and examples of those are, you know, a lot of women will self-select if they're giving birth or they have to go take care of like their mother or their father or their sibling has cancer they'll choose a pathway and they need to just know all the choices that are available to them and how they can also have the on-ramp come back on again and how you can make that experience accessible to them. And they need encouragement. I always say our own inner voice is the most powerful voice of anybody's voice in the world. And so how can you train your inner voice to say, I got this, yes, I can, I'll figure it out. I don't know now, but I'll know tomorrow. And those little tricks help people stay at their best. And everybody needs a little bit of reinforcement and encouragement. And so whether that be women who want to be moms, women who want to be CEOs, women who want to go take care of their fathers and have to do flexible work for a certain time, or they need ideas for home management. And so whether that might be opening the the potpourri of financial management, childcare management, taking care of your friends, management, making leadership accessible. That's the personal side. The, the work side is, listen, some jobs are tougher than others. It's in giving encouragement to say, take that tough assignment. And it's not going to be a year. It's going to probably take a couple of years to get the outcomes that you want to achieve and the company expects of you. And don't self-select out. Hang in there. You'll learn more from that development assignment then you will taking an easy job that you know you're going to hit the numbers. And, you know, having those kinds of conversations too, Clark, also help. 
I love this idea of removing barriers as a leader. We talk about networking and mentoring and creating opportunities. Removing barriers, probably more powerful than listening to the inner voice, as powerful as creating opportunities. Those are redefining moments as well. Ashley, you talked about the five leading causes of mortality. And as we think about the forefront and being forward-looking, the advancement of technology, and the world of medtech continues to transform people's lives and people's lives using medtech to enhance and support their health. I actually have a few medical devices. I have something to help my lower back and something to reduce stress. And these are now parts of how I support my own health. How do you continue to help shape this conversation with leaders in your organization about bringing medtech into, as you put it, before becoming a patient? Healthcare is on a global stage, I think also has been permanently like repositioned in people's mind post-COVID. And healthcare is extremely personal. Now technology is able to, rather than almost have a mass treatment, really personalize what you need. And, you know, with the advancements of AI and the best of 5G and everything going on in technology, we're able to kind of have that pre-op experience, intraoperatively stay away from dangerous structures, post-op knowing exactly how your personal gait is, your personal pain score, that you're going to just get a much better outcome. And keeping people moving is super important for healthy lives, whether that be making sure that they take care of their vision and they and they go get their cataracts treated so that they don't have a hip fracture and end up in the hospital. And I think other counties are better at this, you know, rewarding prevention. And I see that there's a lot of multi-generational folks focusing on prevention and wellness and how healthcare is not just physical healthcare, it's emotional healthcare, it's spiritual, it's it is the whole body. And, you know, J&J has a very long history in behavioral health. We tend to talk of things like, you know, heart attack or stroke, but there's a lot on mental health and behavioral health and staying, staying fit and fit for purpose. And when we do all that, at the end of the day, it's humanizing what healthcare is all about. Speaking of humanizing, there is disparity in healthcare outcomes with certain demographics in terms of underrepresented groups and, and people of color. How do we think about disparities? How do we attack them? What is J&J up to? Really important topic. I would tell you, you know, there's 8 billion patients in the world, but 3 million plus are not getting access to health technologies and healthcare. And a lot of that depends on your socioeconomic, your zip code. And so what can we do to get after that so that one, people get more access and two, they get a more consistent outcome like other patient populations. So J&J, we have our Race to Health Equity Initiative. We've dedicated over $100 million. It's not just about financial contribution. It's also about dedicating our time. So it's about when we're assessing innovation, we understand the impact of our clinical trials in diverse patient populations. It's working on pipeline projects with Black HCBUs to make sure that we go get people of color who want to be orthopedic surgeons. People seek out people who look like themselves in the clinical world to build trust and to get the confidence that they're going to have a good outcome. And if they don't look like them, then there's a skepticism and a lack of trust. So we have a lot that we do on education. We, we try to build out pipelines so that the clinical residents represent the patient populations. And we also ensure that we have certain areas that we understand the different etiology of the disease by race or gender type to make sure that we're not just 
creating innovation for, you know, white women, as an example. Ashley, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, it's such important work, what you just described. So we like to end each podcast with some rapid fire questions. This is where we'll ask you a series of questions and you respond as quickly as possible. Are you ready? Sounds good. I'm up for it, Hoda. All right. Number one, who do you text the most? My husband. What is one subject you'd like to learn more about? Um, probably Buddhism. Are you a collector of anything? I collect sneakers. Oh, all different kinds of sneakers. Very cool. Very, very overall, very hip. Do you learn by watching or do you learn by doing? I learn by experiencing it. And if you had an extra hour per day, I'm sure all of us would love that, what would you do? Um, I would probably take more walks along the beach and uh, hear nature. Love that. There you go. Well, Ashley, we cannot thank you enough for being here and sharing so much of what you've learned as a leader, what you've learned in the brand business and in, in the world of science and technology. Just, just summarizing a little bit of what we heard from you, the power of brands to teach and the power of science to change lives. Those two powers have shifted your career and given you outcomes as a leader. And your leadership lessons, I think, about the inner voice and about leaders help people perform better than they might even believe they are able to, that you were able to come as far as you did because you had great leaders pushing you and believing in you. J&J, you know, I don't know that the tagline is going to be Humpty Dumpty, but the concept that taking the Humpty Dumpty pieces of startups and science and, and then applying global scale at J&J. So regulatory understanding and global scale. As a leader, you listen to the experts you changed industries and you said, okay, I don't understand the science, but I can bring to bear my curiosity, my listening skills, my P&L management to understand the details, to apply to a different industry. I'll listen, I'll be humble, I'll make sure that I have the experts, but I'll bring my leadership to a different industry to succeed. And we think about women in science because women make a lot of healthcare decisions your workforce should reflect the customer base so that you can change outcomes. And ultimately, J&J is about outcomes. And at the end of the day, we think about women and underrepresented groups, remove barriers as well as creating opportunities. And think about the most powerful voice in your ear is the one inside your soul. Your inner voice will drive more than anything else can. And finally, thinking about access to healthcare and consistency of outcomes all over the world, all over our country, all over different populations and demographics. Science and healthcare is what will change humanity. It creates opportunity. It lengthens the run. It lengthens life. So we are very, very appreciative in giving us some new lessons on Redefiners. Thank you, Ashley, for being here. We love being with you today. Thank you, Clark. Thank you, Hoda. What fun. Lovely having you, Ashley. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Redefiners. For more compelling insights from leaders across industries and around the world, listen to Redefiners wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more or to get in contact with us, visit our website at russellreynolds.com, find us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter at RRA on Leadership.